This morning, I want to do things just a little bit differently. It's Easter Sunday, and so instead of giving you a message or a sermon, which is something that I would normally do on a normal Sunday, but it's Easter, I want to do things just a little bit differently, and I want to share with you a story. But this story doesn't begin or end where you may suspect. The betrayal, the cross, the grave, the resurrection. As wonderful as those things are, this is not our beginning. Our beginning starts before this. A baby, a manger, shepherds, wise men. That's closer, but that's still not our beginning. I want to take you back even further so that you can understand this story. And so this morning, I want to take you all the way back to the beginning. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was God, and the Word was with God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. And nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created. And his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never extinguish it. I want you to try to imagine darkness. Complete darkness. And silence. Not a single sound not a shard of light. But then in the midst of that darkness, the voice of God spoke, let there be light. Now, we don't know if God spoke that in a booming, powerful voice, or maybe it was through the gentle whisper of a father. We don't know exactly how he spoke it. But we know that when he said, let there be light, that light penetrated the darkness and illuminated everything around it. And at breakneck speed, God's creation came to life. The light became day and the darkness became night. And he created the sky and the billowing clouds. And he created the sandy shores and the colossal waves crashing on it. The birds flew in the sky and the fish swam through the streams and the mammals trotted on top of the grassy fields. And he created trees and plants to make sure that we would always have air. See, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But you were on his mind. In the beginning, God laid the foundations of the earth. But you were on his mind. Through him, all things were made. But you were on his mind. This is what he was thinking about. This is what he wanted, to be with you, to come for you. This is what was foremost on his mind. And so while the universes were being moved into place and while the skies lit up with the stars, and while the planets blasted into their orbits, this God of power, this God of love, this God of wonder was thinking of you. And so he created a man, and he created a woman, 
And he named the man Adam, which means ruddy or made from the earth. And he created the woman and gave her the name Eve, which means living or lively. And God spent time with Adam and Eve walking and talking with them in the coolness of the day. And he gave them a purpose. And he spoke to them differently than he did all the other creatures on earth. And then God brought them to a tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he gave them this fatherly warning. You may eat of all the trees that are in this garden, but do not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Please, for no reason, don't touch this tree. It will only bring you death. Now, Adam and Eve, they tried to ignore this tree. But the enemy wouldn't let them forget. And he was relentless. And he asked, did God really say you can't eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And Eve answered, we're able to eat of all the trees here in the garden, but God did say we're not to eat of this tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because if we eat of this tree, we will die. But then the enemy tempted them with this intoxicating idea. You will not die. You'll just become like God. And Eve gave in. She took of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and ate it, and so did Adam. And everything changed. At that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. When the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. So they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit I, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man he said, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I command you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. 
for you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. See, Adam and Eve didn't immediately die, but their innocence was slaughtered. And so they hid from God, and they were pushed out of paradise. And they came into a hostile world. They now had to fend for themselves. They had to work the land and search for water. And this mistake that they made, the result of it was that we all would now have to work really, really hard. We would build shelters and we would raise livestock and we would work feverishly just to survive. And many, many years later, some of us would even spend our entire lives in something that's called a cubicle. We'd have bosses and paychecks. We'd get hired and we'd get fired. And this is where the pain all began. Children would be born out of the pain of their mothers. We'd get cuts and bruises and broken legs and scarlet fever and cancer. But the greatest pain came because the separation from God is where sin began. Not long after Adam and Eve left paradise and sinned against God by disobeying him, their son killed his brother. And so the sinfulness was passed down from father to son to mother to daughter. Maybe you've experienced this, the, the feelings of sin. I mean, have you ever felt guilty for something? Have you ever felt shame? Have you ever made a mistake and wished that you could take it back? Have you ever lied? Have you ever deceived somebody? Have you ever hurt someone? That's sin. And so just imagine the worst parts of yourself running rampant and unchecked and destroying yourself and everyone near you. That's what sin does. And we have all sinned. Humankind was in this wilderness of sin for a long, long time. We were in exile from God. And so this world wasn't happening the way that people wanted it to. Things were just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And so sin was, because sin was dominating the world, life just wasn't happening the way people wanted. There was slavery and poverty and disease cafeteria food and corporate takeovers and bullies on the playground and bullies on the battlefield. And soon people started crying out to God, God, why did you let this happen? Where are you? Have you forgotten us? Don't you love us? But God had never left them. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And so God sent the prophets. And the prophets began to declare to the people that God hadn't left them. As a matter of fact, all that was on God's mind was being with us. But the people just wouldn't believe the prophets. And so something had to change. 
Humankind needed hope. We needed a Savior. We needed an all-knowing, all-powerful being who would come and rescue us. Those who were living and those who are yet to come. But what we got was a baby, a small infant who still needed to be changed and burped and swaddled so he wouldn't get too cold. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room for them in the end. Now, if humanity had been paying attention, we would have all noticed that God had started his rescue plan from the moment that Adam and Eve had sinned in the garden. From that very moment, God had put together this rescue plan. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That pronouncement that God had on, that in, on the enemy there in the Garden of Eden when they had sinned foretold a day when Eve's offspring would crush the head of the enemy. Over the next 4,000 years, God would continue to give clues to this rescue plan that he'd put together. As a matter of fact, there are 300 specific prophecies that foretell this plan that God had put into place. Now, I want you to think about this because what chance is there for one person in all of history to be able to fulfill all of those prophecies? Well, look at this silver dollar. And I want you to imagine taking silver dollars and placing them on the ground two feet tall all over the state of Texas. But only one of those silver dollars is the right one. And so you can go from Dallas to Brownsville, from El Paso to Houston, and you can look through all of the different silver dollars, but you have to pick one. Now, what are the chances that you found the right one? Well, it's the same chance that these prophets would have been able to prophesy these eight different prophecies in them coming true in only one man. Jesus not only fulfilled eight prophecies, he fulfilled all 300 of those prophecies. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And so a baby a manger, shepherds, 
wise men. God's rescue plan had begun. The day that all creation had longed for. This is what God had in mind from the very beginning. His grand entrance, his debut in the flesh, his appearance in our lives. And this was the party of all parties. And there will be shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. The angel told Joseph to name him Yeshua, which would later be Latinized as Jesus. And so for the next 30 years, Jesus quietly lived amongst us. Now there was another prophet by the name of John the Baptist. And he was kind of a wild man. He lived out in the wilderness and survived on a low-carb diet of locusts and honey. And he began declaring that God's kingdom was at hand and that God was sending a savior for all humanity. And then it happened. One day John the Baptist was preaching to a crowd down by the river and he looked up and there he saw Jesus. And in that moment, John the Baptist knew that this was him. This was the promised Messiah. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is the one I was talking about when I said, a man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. Jesus asked John to baptize him. And it was this incredible moment. Because when Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens split open and the Spirit of God came down and rested on Jesus and spoke to everyone there. This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, with that type of amazing commission from God, you would think that Jesus would have immediately gone out and start declaring and proclaiming and showing that he truly was the Son of God, that he was the promised Messiah, and would start doing all these amazing miracles, like parting the Red Sea, or flying through the sky, or striking a rock so that it would flow rivers of Topo Chico. But that's not what he did. You know what he did? He went into the wilderness alone and he prayed and he fasted and there he was tempted he was tempted by that same age-old enemy who had tempted adam and eve there in the garden of eden tempted with the same temptations that you and i face tempted with his own physical needs tempted with to rely on his own abilities tempted with power and influence Jesus wrestled with these same temptations that you and I face, the same temptations that Adam and Eve faced, but Jesus never forgot his purpose. And he turned down every temptation. And then Jesus began to reach out to all of us. And he began to do these amazing miracles. Now I have to tell you here this morning that some of these miracles 
they were pretty strange. I mean, this one time he bent down into the dirt and he spit, he spit into the dirt enough to create mud. And then he took the mud and placed it on the blind man's eyes and immediately he could see. Another time he came to the, into a city and all these people were crouching around and, and crowding around this woman who they wanted to stone it to death. But Jesus saved her life by again bending down in the sand and writing something in the sand and insisting whoever has not sinned, you may throw the first stone. And that woman's life was saved. Another time he was speaking to a group of people in a house and the house was so crowded that nobody else could come in. And all of a sudden, the roof began to cave in and these men began lowering this paralyzed man into that living room. And Jesus looked at that paralyzed man and said, pick up your mat and walk. And he walked out of that house. He even took five loaves and two fish and prayed over them. And it multiplied so much that he was able to feed over 5,000 people. Amazing, astonishing, strange miracles Jesus was doing. But as strange as those miracles were, things he said, I think, were even stranger. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the poor in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The meek, the persecuted, the poor. I mean, they didn't seem like those who were being blessed. But Jesus was speaking of a different kind of kingdom, this upside-down kingdom of God. And Jesus told stories to describe it. He told the story of a man who was beaten alongside the road and left for dead. But Jesus explained how a good Samaritan came by and bandaged his wounds and paid for his medical care. He then told the story of a prodigal son who ran as far away from his father as he could get. And he sinned until there was nothing else to do. He squandered all of his father's inheritance and fortune until he finally came to the end of himself, crisis beyond crisis, where he finally came to that point of desperation. He thought, if only I could go back to my father's house, but my father will never have me. Maybe I could just go and serve and be one of the servants there. And so he crawled back home, but from a distance, the father saw his son coming and he ran to him, embracing him with arms wide open. And Jesus told these stories to describe for us how much God loves us. And then in turn, how we are then to love others. And so by the thousands and by the tens of thousands, people were following Jesus. The prophecies of old were all coming true. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom it will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will give it 
be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon, they will be, see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. So strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance. With divine retribution, he will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like, leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the deserts. All of this was taking place just as the prophets had foretold. It was an amazing time to be alive. And so it looked like God's rescue plan was going to work. But then the tide turned. The religious leaders of that day, they didn't understand Jesus' message. They couldn't receive him as the promised Messiah. They couldn't receive him as the Son of God. That's blasphemy, they told the people. He's a liar. He's a phony. He's a charlatan. He must be stopped. And they finally convinced one of his closest friends to betray him. And in the middle of the night, Jesus was dragged away by Roman soldiers under false accusations. And he was flogged 39 times with a cat of nine tails. And with each one of those whippings, it tore the skin off of Jesus' body. And he was disfigured so much that he was hardly recognizable. The crowds began to cry out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The same people who just days earlier who were crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna. These same people were crying out, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And soon even Jesus' closest disciples denied they'd ever met Jesus. The trial was a mockery, and Jesus was sentenced to death. But for what? For healing the sick? For healing the lame? For raising the dead to life? For changing the water into wine? For feeding the masses? For showing us how much God loved us? It didn't make sense. And that's because that age-old enemy, the same enemy who had deceived and tempted Adam and Eve and caused them to disobey God, that same age-old enemy who had kept humanity in its grip and captivity of evil and destructive power for 4,000 years, that same enemy, the devil, Lucifer, Satan, he was behind all of this intent on destroying God's rescue plan. And so Jesus was forced to carry a cross through the streets of his hometown. He walked past men and women and children who had seen him feed the 5,000, who had seen him heal the sick and raise the dead to life. But now they were asking, was that just all a lie? They took Jesus to a hill called Golgotha and they put him on an old rugged cross. And you would have thought that Jesus would have been angry. You'd have thought that Jesus would have been calling vengeance down from heaven for this injustice. But he didn't. 
because he knew why he was there. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. See, Jesus knew that he was here to take away the sins of the world, the sins that were keeping us from being from God, with God. And so as Jesus hung on the cross, with every passing moment, that separation from God that had happened back at the Garden of Eden was finally coming to an end. And as Jesus hung there with his dying breath, he called out to every one of us, let me take that from you. Give that to me. Let me carry it. I know I'm not the earthly ruler that you were wanting. I know I'm not the earthly king that you thought you needed. But I am the father who longs for every last one of his children. I am the friend who sticks closer than a brother. I am the light in the midst of your darkness. I am the flame that your shame can never extinguish. And I am the gift without cost. And I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am making a way for you to be with the Father. And then Jesus said, It is finished. And then he died. And darkness covered the entire land. And so it looked like God's rescue plan had failed. This God of wonders who had us on his heart from the beginning, this God who sent his only begotten son here to planet Earth, this God who showed us what he was like by Jesus' stories and miracles and by his life, his rescue plan had failed. Or did it? For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned it to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And the Lord makes his life a guilt offering. He will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After the suffering of his soul, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will satisfy, will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. See, the story of God was not finished. On Friday, all was lost. But Sunday, <laughs> Sunday was coming. Because on Sunday, God would do the impossible. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found a stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. See, this was God's rescue plan all along to send his one and only begotten son, Jesus, to come and rescue our lives. The betrayal, the cross, the grave, the resurrection. This was God's rescue plan all along. See, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. If our greatest need had been pleasure, God would have sent us an entertainer. But our greatest need was forgiveness. And that's why God sent us a Savior. And his name will be Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. See, this is what God had planned all along. God knew that mankind could not change. We are all guilty of living as if God doesn't exist. Each one of us are guilty of allowing every form of wickedness to take over our lives. And so God's rescue plan was to get his only begotten son, Jesus, to pay the price for our guilty verdict. And God's rescue plan did just that. It got us off the hook. It got you off the hook. It got me off the hook. And so now we're free. You're free. I'm free. We're free now to discover God for ourselves. We're free now to experience this incredible love that God has for each one of us. See, folks, this Easter story is really the most amazing divine love story of all time. And this story now involves your life because Jesus' life leads to your life. And that's why we can't leave Jesus just as a baby lying in a manger or some religious figure hanging on a cross in some church when in fact Jesus is now alive standing, hands outstretched to you and to me. And so let me ask you, how will this Jesus end up for you this Easter? As a baby lying in a manger, safe and sound? Or some figure in a church hanging on a cross? Or a personal God who is still alive, and who still does wonders, and who loves you more than you can even imagine. How will you end this story, this story of Easter? I'm going to ask you just to close your eyes, if you would. Because I don't want you to be thinking about anybody else or looking around. Because I said at the beginning, this story doesn't begin or end where you may think. Because the story brings our lives now into it. And so, how will this Jesus end up for you? 
The resurrection of Jesus changed everything. God is no longer separate and distant. Jesus restored all these things and he's made all things new. We can now talk with God any moment and we can hear his voice. Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, fear, and suffering. And so when you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, a miracle happens. You can take any sin, any sickness, any stress, any struggle, and lay it at his feet. Sickness, a bad situation at work, an affair, divorce, shame, loneliness, depression, addiction, it can all be left at the foot of the cross. Because if you confess that Jesus is Lord, you're now a new creation in him. Jesus has risen so that you may have life. Father, I pray for every one of us here this morning that the reality of Jesus' resurrection would begin to stir in our hearts and the revelation of how much you love us would begin to shake inside of us. Father, I pray that those cobwebs of religion and those, those chains that 